Welcome. I hope you're having a fantastic summer. And thank you for joining the Unbiased Label podcast with your host, Zara Karutz. On this podcast, we believe that labels belong on clothes, not people. We have real talk with thought-provoking conversation at the intersection of industry and academia focused on all things fashion and culture. This 25th episode is a conversation with Ojinayu Ojo, who is a London-based English-Nigerian fashion wonder boy that has taken the fashion world by storm with his critical points of view rooted in deep research. His free-thinking perspective has created a fan base of over 70,000 YouTube subscribers on his channel, The Fashion Archive. Currently, Ayor is a fashion journalism BA student at Central St. Martin's. He also writes for Business of Fashion and has launched his own publication, The Fashion Archive Magazine. Please join me in a lighthearted talk with Ayor about his Nigerian roots, fashion journey, including becoming a YouTube sensation, his obsession for fashion, and his academic life at Central St. Martin's. Now on to the conversation. Hi, Ayo. Hi. So thank you for joining and talking about fashion and you and your world. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I look forward to it. I read your article. That was really fantastic. Congratulations. You're getting a lot of press on that. Thank you. (laughs) I wanted to start off with how you pronounce your name. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, oh, that's a bit complicated. So (laughs) my first name is pronounced Odumayo. So it's a Yoruba name and it means year of celebration. So to make it easier in the European world that I live in, I shortened it to Ayo. Yep. So the right way to say it is Ayo. So think of like I, like I am going somewhere, that I, and then you're like, I'm giving you your bag. So if you get I and your together, that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. And how about your last name? So my last name might be a bit harder. So it's pronounced Ojo. Ojo. But in my language... That spelling, so O-J-O, can yeah. mean different things depending on how you pronounce it. So, Ojo means rain. Ojo is my surname. There's Ojo, which means tomorrow. So, it's quite complicated. It is. Yeah. That nuance can make it completely yeah. different. Yeah. You're doing so much, but you've only landed at this point because you've done so much to get to this point. Yeah. You had a, a, a story that brought you here. I would say that I first got into fashion when I moved to Nigeria. So I moved to Nigeria when I was nine. From here? From London, yeah. And the reason was because growing up in England, there wasn't really an emphasis on what you wore, at least not at that age. Like, no one really cared if you're nine. It's just like, oh, he's nine. No one cares what he wears. But once I went to Nigeria, there was such an emphasis on what you wear, especially to church. Yeah. Um, because it's that idea of Sunday's best. So as a nine-year-old in Nigeria, I was already thinking of seriously, oh, should I wear this? Should I wear that? What looks good to wear to church? And where in Nigeria? So I first moved to a place, it's called Undur State. So I, where I'm from, actually, it's Undur Town. 
It's like a small town slash village. It was um, interesting. It was an experience. I definitely saw the real side of poverty. People that don't have literally like one P to their name, which brought everything into perspective. But I think also in Nigeria, the style is so interesting because there's the cultural style, mm. which is like all the Nigerian prints and all that sort of stuff, which is very interesting. And then, of course, because Nigeria is a former British colony. Mm-hmm. So then there's a lot of English influence and a lot of the tailoring and the suiting mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I think fashion in Nigeria is quite broad and vast. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I was really into fashion. Now, at that point, I didn't know I wanted to work in fashion. And in school, I was always really good at science subjects. Those mm. are the subjects I got the best grades in. Mm. And having Nigerian parents, they're like, well, so you're good at science, so you're going to be an engineer. So I eventually studied um, chemical engineering. As a chemical engineer, you can be anything. Right. What they try to steer us to is to work for a company like Procter & Gamble. Right. Or, or, you know, making powder or some drug or something. Right. But because it's such a hard subject and every single thing about it is about problem solving, thinking outside the box. So when you study something like engineering, most industries will hire you because they know you're coming with that. Yeah. Problem solving yeah. brain. But during my time studying engineering, I realized very quickly that I didn't actually like it. Oh. And so what I did was every summer I would work like some sort of fashion job or internship mm. or intern somewhere. Or assist In Nigeria. Somewhere. Oh no, this was, I'd come back to England by then. You had come back to England. Yeah. When did you come back to England? Um, so when I was 16. Okay, so from. So from 9 to 16, I was in Nigeria. Formative years. Yeah. Very formative. Yeah, so all my formative years were wow. in Nigeria, actually. That would have an impact. Okay. Yeah, so I came back and then I sort of decided I was going to pursue fashion as a career. Kind of all by mistake. Because once again, I knew I wanted to work in fashion. But the problem is to get a foot in the, in the doors of fashion right. can be really difficult. It's padlocked. Yeah. So I didn't know how I was going to break that padlock until... I was doing this job where I would move people's furniture. And I was doing this specific job where I was helping this Asian woman move her furniture from England to France. So I've gotten to France and I saw a magazine... And I saw her face in the magazine. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like in fashion or something. She was like, yeah, I'm actually a fashion designer. That's my job. We got into like a really long conversation I'm about shocked. fashion. <laughs> I was supposed to be working. I was supposed to be moving her, her bed into the bedroom. <laughs> but we just got into such a good conversation that she was like, you know what? I've been looking for an intern and you seem really interesting. And it's a paid intern. So we went to dinner in France and continued chatting. And then we were on the way back, and then that's when she said, oh, I've been looking for an intern, you seem amazing, you seem motivated. Like, clearly, because you're moving furniture, so you're not a lazy person. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and so, literally, she was like, when can you start? And I was like, next week, immediately. So I started, like, literally two days later, because wow. I think that was, like, a Saturday. And I started working with her on the Monday. And so that was my foot in the door in the industry. It was all by mistake. So how was the internship? Wow, it was very insightful. I thought I knew about fashion, but I knew about fashion in terms of designers and their inspirations because I read a lot of books about it. But I didn't know anything about how fashion worked. Oh. I didn't know anything about how production worked, how, how 
you contact customers, like the framework? So right. like, what type of applications do you use to keep track of who your VIP customers are, send out email lists and all that sort of stuff? No clue. Right. I didn't even know like how clothing was made. I just knew about Alexander McQueen had an amazing collection that was inspired by, mm. you know, Highland rape and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't actually know, okay, but how did he actually make the clothing? Right. Her name is Benice Pan, by the way. Love her. I really love her. She's been an amazing mentor. Is that her brand? Her, her brand is called Deploy London. Oh. It's a sustainable women's wear brand, very high quality. And so the first question she asked me was, do you know what a pattern is? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, I really don't. And she's like, okay, I'll tell you what pattern is. And she sat me down and gave me this really in-depth, sort of like a lesson on patterns and why they're important and how you grade patterns and how you do different sizing of patterns and how you identify patterns wow. and all that sort of stuff. So then the first job I did was I would arrange all the patterns and like make sure they're in an order so when they were needed, I could easily get them because I'd arrange them in a certain way. And then... From there, I started making my own patterns. Wow. Yeah, and then I learned to actually pattern make. And then... How do you pattern make? Oh, so complicated. It's like, almost like a science. It's all about measurements. Right, I'd be horrible at yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> very precise, very detailed, precise. triple checking. Yeah. So I was just an intern, so I'd do anything. So from doing email lists to... One day I was even the receptionist, which was quite interesting. But I loved it because I was learning how to do different jobs. Right. And it wasn't like it was, I was being exploited, I was being paid. So I've never actually worked in fashion for free, which I'm so lucky because when I talk to like a lot of my friends, they've gone through well, it's, it's, hell, it's like unpaid internships horrible. and stuff. So I feel like I was really lucky there. Um, and she valued you. Yeah. And that's ethical. Somebody yeah. that cares about sustainability and ethics will care about human beings labor yeah, yeah and it yeah. was it was so insightful i remember she'd be like okay Aya, i need to get these buttons so here's the address help me get these buttons and i was like what because you just think clothing just comes together you don't think of like okay to make clothing it sounds common sense now to me because i've worked in fashion for so long but yeah buttons you need a button supplier who supplies your zips Right. Who supplies your lining? Who supplies... Right. It's like everything. It's not just like a fabric and that's it. And so I would go to these button suppliers and I'm like, oh, so if I started a brand, this is an example of a button supplier I could oh. use to make my own stuff. Or like I remember one day she sent me to this place to get zips. It was a massive warehouse and they had all different quality and grades and sizes of zips and all that stuff. So... It was a very, very insightful internship where I did absolutely everything. Mm. And I learned everything all in one go, in one summer. What a blessing. Yeah, a big blessing. So how do you front. leave that? Summer's over and you have to leave this <laughs> And magical... now I had to go and study engineering. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, how was that? It, was, it, it made engineering quite boring. <laughs> it was It was just like science and maths. And it was like, no, I just want to go back to fashion. Yeah. And from there, then the next holiday, I interned at Stella McCartney. And that was around the time I started to make my own YouTube channel. Mm. And because I'd learned so much about fashion, because I've watched fashion YouTube for years, whether it's styling videos or like streetwear stuff. And I realized no one actually talks about all the stuff I just learned in my internship. Mm. So like how production or the background of what happens mm -hmm. that makes collections mm -hmm. or inspirations of a collection, all the stuff that's happens behind a collection before you get the end product. 
So I just made videos talking about like this designer was inspired by this when they made this collection or fashion business videos like oh so LVMH um, had a growth of this much and this is the reason why Gucci grew by 5% in Q1 of this year. Right. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere because no one made it. So I was like, no one would be interested, but I'll just make the videos anyway, just to experiment. And then it kind of just grew and took off. And it got to the point where I started to get sponsors, like my channel sponsored by Skillshare. It's been sponsored for two years. And then when that happens, it becomes more serious. And then you have a schedule and then you post every week. Yeah, but you didn't get that sponsorship until a consistent dedication of, what, yeah. two years? Yeah. So what made you keep going religiously in the sense that you kept going? It's a labor of yeah. love in a lot of ways. Yeah, so actually, the reason why I love making YouTube videos, even though when I started I got five views, was actually I found that to make a YouTube video, because you're posting something to the world, and whether five people see it, you never know where a video can go. That's right. So I would put pressure on myself to do a certain level of research yeah. to make a video, because I don't want anything to be wrong. Right. And I realized that I was learning so much mm -hmm. because I was putting myself in a position where, okay, so you have to make a video about this, which means you have to do this much research about it to make sure that the information isn't wrong. Right. And then putting myself in that position, I'm just learning so much with every video I make. And I got kind of like addicted to the learning where I was like, yeah, I want to make a video about that because by virtue of making a video, I'm forcing myself to learn about it's it. It's incredible. That's interesting. So it was the knowledge that kept you going. Yeah. That's what you were seeking was the knowledge of your passion of the industry that you had fallen in love with. Exactly. And I felt like making YouTube videos kind of fueled it. Because mm -hmm. it required that process. Exactly. Which is why I just continued it, whether it was going to be successful or not. I probably would have still done it. And then everything kind of just built up from there, which is kind of interesting because then everything kind of spiraled out of control from my YouTube channel. Because when you make the nature of videos that I make, which can sometimes be quite analytical... This um, is why I like you, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a deep-thinking yeah. lens. Then you start to get loads of jobs out of it. And I don't think I've talked about this a lot. I started to get people to reach out to me like, okay, you made a video about how Telfar's brand and Telfar bags are big. Why do you think that is? And I would get paid to give them that opinion. So because of my YouTube channel, my day job has kind of become consulting for certain things or I expanded into writing. So I expanded into journalism and that's actually what I study now. I always knew I wanted to work in fashion. I had no idea where. You can either be a designer or a photographer or a stylist. So I was like- Oh right, the struggle of where to fit into the yeah. world. Yeah. And so I had actually been a photographer as a job. And I think because I researched fashion for so long, I have sort of a respect for it. So I know... A photography respect. Yeah, so I know yeah. what like I'm good at and what I'm not. And I could maybe take photos, but I wouldn't be the next, I don't know, Christopher Bailey. Mm -mm. And if I'm going to be in an industry, I'm going to be in an industry because I want to be the best. Right, of course. And I knew that photography wasn't that, which is right. why I was like, okay, so it's not going to be photography. No, I would rule that out immediately yeah. myself. <laughs> 
So I tried design and I just realized that design wasn't for me. Why sew? Because I still think about that sometimes. But then I hate sewing, so then I stop there. Yeah, because so an, a designer who I look up to is like McQueen. Yes. I like the idea of even if you get so big that you get to the point where you just have like a factory that makes everything. Right. The idea that you have the skills to make patterns, to sew, yeah. to drape, to the point where any idea in your head yeah. you can bring it to life because you have the skills to with speed yeah because if you're not skilled you're relying on someone else to bring your vision to life and Correct. they might never understand it fully so it never really comes to fruition totally or they're being lazy and because you don't know what yes it takes they're just going to tell you well that's not actually possible when it probably could be but totally. they're just trying to serve themselves work so i felt like if i was going to be a designer i'm only going to be that type of designer yeah. and i realized that the learning that you need and the diligence. I didn't love design that much to seek the knowledge. I know, but how do you know that? Because I feel the same way. And I always question myself, like, do I really not love it? Why do you feel that way? Like, how did you know? Because I tried it and because I... Okay, so a good example, because I used to make patterns. Right. Um, but did you like patterns? I did, but yeah. it got really complicated. So I can make patterns for trousers or flares, but that's quite basic in the realm of pattern making. Right, okay. You need to get to a point as a pattern maker to where an avant-garde designer like Ray Kalkubo can come and give you the most outrageous thing. Oh, come thing. on. What would that be like, that yeah, pattern? Yeah, and you, you can make the pattern for that. I could not even fathom. Why did I think that Ray Kalkubo didn't use patterns? She does. In my mind, I'm just thinking there's no way that that could actually have a pattern. <laughs> Because she's so skilled, and even Ray, um, what I've heard um, is that she trained Junior Watanabe to make patterns to a point where now anyone that's under the Comme des Garçons umbrella, he teaches them. They just spend a year just only on patterns. So with me and making patterns, I got to a point where I started to realise that, yeah, I'm not that skilled. It's because before I was required to make patterns for a trouser. And right. so it was quite easy for me. But once people start coming with, okay, so I want this dress, but this dress is going to have spikes and it's going to be asymmetric and it's right. going to be this and that. And when you sit down and try to think of, okay, how am I going to make the pattern for this? But clearly you didn't want to learn that skill because that didn't draw you in. That, yeah. that challenge wasn't like... Something that I wanted to take right. on. And so I sat down and I had a realisation of, okay, so what do I actually like? And I realised, okay... So what do I do? Yeah. I do loads of research to uh -huh. make YouTube videos about my findings. So that really is journalism. And then once I realized that, I was like, okay, so I want to be a writer, I want to be a journalist. So then I applied to study fashion journalism yeah. at different schools. So I applied to Westminster, Goldsmiths, mm -hmm. UCA, CSM. And luckily I did get into all of them. I was actually gonna go to UCA over CSM because at UCA, the lecturers have your time and the lecturers, from my understanding, were very knowledgeable and they were willing to really be there to help you with anything. But the reason why I picked TSM over UCA was because of Judith Watt. That's why I chose Fashion Critical Studies yeah. because of Dr. Jane Tynan. I think in terms of knowledge learning, having a teacher like Judith Watt is the best thing in the world because she is harsh extremely harsh but in a good way well describe her so she just expects the world 
Which is good. What do you mean by the world? So, for example, if I was to write an article, because I'm looking at the microphone that we're recording on. So if I was to write an article on a microphone, she would expect that I know everything about everything about microphones. Because she's like, if you're a real journalist, if you say you're a journalist that wants to be one of the good journalists, right. you're supposed to know everything about everything that you write about. So... Yes, maybe you wrote specifically about a microphone, but what materials are in the microphone that make it up? And you should know about the materials that make it up, and you should know the history of the materials that make it up, and you should know who the first person to use a microphone was. So once you write about something, you need to be an expert on it. And that's what I mean by she expects the world. So I when I her. first got there, it was a very rude awakening, <laughs> and I definitely wasn't ready for it because I didn't know. And because journalism is so bad now, <laughs> so it's, it's, especially fashion journalism a lot of fashion I'm glad you said it not me because yeah. I get myself in yeah. trouble so I just thought yeah you write about this and you just read a book about it and yeah you write the article and it wasn't until <laughs> so we have crits so every single project we do we have to present it to our class and then three of our lecturers will be there to critique. I, that's the way it should yeah, be. Yeah, what we do. And that's where you get the rude awakening. That's how you get better. Yeah, so the first article I wrote, and it was our summer project. And so the first day of school, I had already been to university before, so I'm just thinking, yeah, right. first day of school, you have an introduction. They tell you like what school is going to be like. Nope. On our course, first day, they told us to bring our summer project with us, which okay. was supposed to be like an 800 word essay. Okay. And they said, so you know that summer project you guys wrote? So you guys are all going to read it out to us one by one. And it was our lecturers and all of us in the class. How many people in the class? About 30 of us. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so this thing that we didn't think was serious we just thought it was a summer project so now we're reading it out and being critiqued i love this and that was where i got my rude awakening what like, did you write about it was supposed to be about like a piece of clothing that you like and why you like it oh that's fine and now because i didn't know how analytical we were expected to write so i just wrote about the sentimental value of the first comedy garçon hat i ever bought and so when i was there she's like oh interesting so about that about comedy garçon what do you like about ray Kubo? And then she went on the big question and answer session where I was like, what do you like about Reiko Kubo? What do you think about her ideas? What do you think about this collection? What do you think about spring some of this? What do you think about this? What do you think about Dover Street Market? Have you been to Dover Street Market? <laughs> and so yeah. that was when I understood that, yeah, so if you write about something... Right. And I, I haven't mastered it yet. I literally just submitted an article <laughs> where the feedback was like, you should have written about this. You should have done this. You should have interviewed this person. This was a missed opportunity. I expected better. I love her. That was my feedback. So good. <laughs> and so I'm still mastering it. Don't think... I haven't mastered I it I want to join the class. Yeah. And so I'm loving it because I went there to learn. Yeah. And that is exactly yeah. what I'm getting. I'm learning the hard way. Yeah. But that's the only way you become... Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm curious to understand the level of theory and fashion theory that you're exposed to. And is that something that's part of the conversation when you're thinking about becoming knowledgeable? Yeah. Um, so, especially with YouTube, I think my ideas have definitely evolved, especially since going to CSM because of how we're expected to learn about things before we do it. Right. And I think that has transferred into where I make YouTube videos and where I do research. 
So even if I'm just going to do research on one collection, I'm going to research everything around it mm-hmm. to a point where almost the opinions I have are so... Like, the way I present them are so different. I can tell that I'm starting to piss people off. People are like, you sound so negative. And I'm like, I know, but it's because I read about this and then I read about that and I actually learned that this isn't what it seems like and that's why I'm not going to give you the answer that you hear everyone else give. Yeah. It's because... I've now been trained by my lecturers at my school that when you do research into something, you can't do what everyone else does and just read an article and read a book. You have to interview the people that are involved in making it. You have to go to the places. So when I said Judith what expects the world, so a good example is if you write about something that happened in London, if you don't go to where the thing happened physically and take pictures, you're going to fail. Because she's like, how could you possibly understand something that you haven't seen with your own two eyes? Yeah, I agree. So it's serious, serious journalism that she expects. And so that seeps into everything I do. There were a few projects in first year that I failed. And by failing, I don't mean... Like, failure to me is like not getting like an A. The top mark, yeah. So like, I got like... There were, I think, two projects I got a C. Mm. And it was because Judith was like, I expected more. You should have gone to the place that you were writing about. You should Mm -hmm. have interviewed this person that you're writing about. And also her thing is like, no excuses. Mm -hmm. What I think is interesting is you're learning your tools, you're sharpening your skills, you're held accountable to a really high level of journalism. And at the same time, you have the opportunity to exercise it in the real world with the work that you started before you got to CSM and the progression of your career while you're in school. You're doing both. Exactly, because then I take the learning that I get from school and apply that to the stuff I do, like my YouTube videos or like articles I write. Yes, yeah, so your article that came out this week in BOF, you wrote about the global perspective specifically on African designers and how Africa is fitting into the landscape, into the global perspective, not just from a global south within its own habitat. So you made a lot of interesting references and connections to designers and what's making them successful. And you link that to some social issues around sexuality. So it was a really complex sort of discussion. And I think before when we spoke, you said that was hours of research. Yeah. It wasn't just hours, it was actually weeks. I had to interview people, and when you have six interviewees with who are busy people and important people, having to like try and schedule it, and then people cancel last minute, and then you have to reschedule it. So it just takes forever. And on top of that, within that, I'm doing loads of research. And any stats, you have to get it from more than one source. Otherwise, like, how do you know it's actually a proper like stat if it's just told by one person right um and so there's that and then it's like reading about it too and reading books that relate to the topic that you're writing about and so people then see a 1200 word article but they don't see the 5000 word research document behind it which is hilarious and there's so many things i could have added or removed or replaced in the article but that's just how it goes and that also comes from school because in school, anytime you submit an essay, it could literally be a 600 word essay, you have to submit a research document mm. to go with it. Because otherwise, how are they going to know what you're saying is true? I like agree. You could have made it up. So 
our lecturers will go through our research document and see where we've done our research, who we've interviewed, what books we've read, what we've learned from the books. And that's what our research document is. It's like the interviews, it's the books and what we've extracted from the books, it's images that we found that relate to the article, what we're writing about, it's movies we've watched that relate to it, it's yeah. podcasts we've listened to. It's everything. It's everything. I think that's the essential part of the process of affirming you know what you know and why you know it. Yeah. And also making the connections of things that you know that you may not even know that fit together. Yeah. Documenting that and acknowledging that really, I think, creates a self-identity of your own knowledge base. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I know things in my head, but being able to communicate them in a way that I own my knowledge and that it's integrated as a part of who I am is a whole separate process. Yeah, so I'm kind of similar to that. So... When it comes to writing down my ideas, I can write it down in the most intelligent way. Right. It can come across like something really intelligent. But for some reason, if I have to just like say it, mm-hmm. it doesn't come out the I same know. way. And I start to mumble my words, mm-hmm. which is why I prefer to write things down. So even when I make YouTube videos, yeah. I have to write a script that I follow. Yeah. Because if I just try to go off what I know in my head, it's going to come across terribly. So where are you in life at the moment? So I do have goals and plans. So this year was to launch my magazine and it happened. So fashion next year archive. Is, yeah, the Fashion Archive magazine. Next year is to launch the brand in conjunction with the magazine. And once I have those two things up and running, I think I can now get the machine rolling of the magazine. You've got your brand, you've got your YouTube, you have your magazine and you're writing, and you have school. Yeah, I think people might think I'm exaggerating when I say fashion is my life. The time that people would sit around, just like, I don't know, doing whatever people do, or like going clubbing, I'm literally just watching fashion, or writing about fashion, or making a fashion YouTube video, or writing, my life does revolve around fashion. Me too, don't you love it? Yeah, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Unbiased Label Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, then please connect with us on social media, tell a friend, and leave a review. Please tune in next time for more conversation on fashion and culture from a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. Until next time, stay well.